The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we welcome back Becky, an academic turned game designer. Oh, Becky was on our show last year to talk about The Good Place, and now she's back to talk about season three. Welcome back, Becky. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for being on our show again. So, okay, season three. Oh my gosh. What do you love about season three? Oh my gosh. Okay, I love a lot of things. I love the way that all of the characters are growing. I love that everybody is constantly trying to get better. That's something that I loved about the first two seasons, but we see it even more in season three. I love that the show is not afraid to get really serious. It's one of the things I want to talk about later. In seeing into the characters' backstories, which is another thing I love, you get to see how everybody got to be the way they are, and it touches on some really serious things. And I really admire that the show had the courage to do that and can go into those serious places while also not abandoning the humor. It is still very much a comedy and that's great. But yeah, you know, we get to see real sorrow from Eleanor and Tahani over the way their families were. I also love the way that that the universe is expanding. We're starting to see more of what the bad place is like, what the good place is like, some more behind the scenes of the afterlife. Right. And that's leading towards this, this expanding view of the world and a more complete picture of how that got to be the way it is. Yeah, I love that too. The the expansion of the world and really being able to see things that were kind of behind the scenes before. And yeah, I loved them exploring these characters' backgrounds and yeah. where they came from. And it was really interesting seeing them, you know, trying to basically make the people who they love better. Right. So that they had a better chance of going to the good place. So, yeah, uh, talk a little bit about that, about, you know, how what we see tells us a lot about the characters and who they are. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right. So I guess I'll uh, let's go in order of the episodes that we see them. So first one is Jason's family. Oh, my God. (laughs) Donkey Doug. Donkey Doug. (laughs) We find out that Donkey Doug is actually his father, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's hilarious and tragic at the same time. I mean, it's hilarious in that everything to do with Jason's life is hilarious. Yes. Because it's just so ridiculously Jacksonville. Yes. (laughs) But it's also really sad because you see that he never had a chance for a good role model. You know, his father was irresponsible. His father was a criminal. His father never gave him good guidance. You know, I mean, the fact that 
nobody knew that he was his father, you know? Like, what do you mean? I talk about Donkey Doug all the time. Everybody just assumed from everything he had said about Donkey Doug that Donkey Doug was just another friend. And, you know, that shows that Jason's father was never the role model that he needed and never gave him that kind of guidance. So yeah, Jason never had a chance to learn to be good. And, you know, the the one time that Donkey Doug steps up and takes responsibility is taking the fall for Jason when they're being chased by the police. Right, right. And like, on the one hand, yes, he's sacrificing himself to save his son. On the other hand, that's so not the way it should happen. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you know, my father did this for me. And someday you will do it for your son. It's like, that's... (laughs) That's sweet, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so Jason tries to save his father, and it just doesn't work. And he kind of saves his best friend, Pillboy. But in this really roundabout, deceptive kind of way, you know, he does get Pillboy to change his ways, but only by pretending to be an astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) In order to get Pillboy to stop committing crimes, they have to trick him with this ridiculous story about, you know, there being secret astronaut spies from NASA. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And yes, it works, we assume, uh, because we haven't heard back, but it really makes you wonder, is that a sincere enough, does it really count as Pillboy mending his ways if he's done it by deception? You know, I, and that kind of touches on one of the larger themes, which is, does it matter if you're doing the right thing, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons? Right, it, right. We keep coming back to. And yeah, if Pillboy is living a better life and doing good things, but is doing it because he's been tricked into following this false set of instructions, is that really going to count as him being a good person? Yeah, it's a really good question. And you're right that that's that's kind of the big question throughout the whole show, really. How do we define being good? And under what circumstances can we truly be good without being influenced by other things? Yeah, that's something that we revisit. We've looked at before, but we're revisiting it from a lot more angles this season in our heroes going back to Earth, in them trying to help the people they care about in visiting Doug, visiting accounting, visiting the actual good place. We have a lot of examples of people doing ostensibly good things, but for the wrong reasons or with bad outcomes. So that's Jason returning to Jacksonville with with Donkey (laughs) Doug. And then we have Eleanor and Tahani going back to visit their families. And Jason doesn't succeed with his father or not really with his best friend. Eleanor and Tahani don't really succeed with their families either. It's weird. So yeah, so Eleanor goes back to find her mother who she thought was dead. Turns out Eleanor's mother faked her own death, but is now happily living as a suburban mom. So Eleanor doesn't succeed in making her a better person because she's already made herself a better person. Right, right. And and, and I think that's really consistent with the message of the show that if you want to become a better person, you have it has to come from within you. You have to want to. And so uh, I forget her name. She's going by uh, Diana Tremaine, which is uh, one of (laughs) Ellen's aliases. Donna. Donna. Yeah. So, so yeah, on the one hand, Donna has gotten better because she wanted to do it herself because she finally got someone good in her life. And, 
you know, stopped doing crime and started doing yoga and being a PTA <laughs> mom. And, and on the one hand, that's wonderful. She did it herself. But then you get one of the saddest moments of the whole season when Eleanor says, I wanted that mom. And why wasn't she that person for me? Why can she be that person for Patricia, but not for me? Yeah, and that was that moment was just heartbreaking. Because, you know, it it really showed this vulnerability in Eleanor that Eleanor doesn't show a lot. Yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah. I I cried. Uh, I cried so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but that shows how Eleanor is growing, that she recognized what she was feeling and that she was able to say it, to articulate it to Michael. And yeah, and, and it shows the trust that is growing between Eleanor and Michael as well, that she was able to say that to him. So it is really heartbreaking. And, you know, and that's not anything against Eleanor herself. You know, it's not that Eleanor did something wrong to, uh, to make her mother not able to become a better person. It's just that Donna wasn't ready yet. But yeah, that's it's so heartbreaking. But you know, again, it isn't anything. Okay, it's sort of something against Donna that Eleanor wasn't ready to become a better person until right. after she was gone. You know, and and in keeping with what we saw with Jason, like we'd seen some of Eleanor's upbringing before, and we'd seen some of the kind of person that Donna was, and. So we saw that Eleanor really didn't have a chance to become a good person. You know, she did not have any good role models in her life. Or the ones that she did have, she wasn't paying attention to. Right. Uh, you know, there was Environmental Boy. There were other good people in her life. And it was only in, when she herself decided that she wanted to make a change and become a better person that she was able to actually do it. So in that sense, their stories are very consistent with each other. You know, they had the potential to be good all along. They just needed to be around the right influences and to take that initiative themselves. Right, right. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say about Donna mm-hmm. is even though she was uh, she was getting better, you could see that she was still really damaged, too. You know, she still had the escape money. Right, right. And that was a a heartbreaking moment in a whole different kind of way. You know, even though she had made a change, even though she was really, really happy, she had been hurt so many times before that she couldn't trust her real happiness to to be real, to exist. And so she had her escape money. And really, if there's anything that, that Eleanor was able to do for her, it was, you know, to tell her, no, you've got to get rid of that escape money. You've got to, you know, put it into a college fund or something for Patricia and like commit entirely to this life that you have Uh, because, you know, you are happy and this is really great and that's how it should be. And even if Eleanor can't have that happy childhood, Patricia still can. Right. It was like one of the most generous things that Eleanor has done in her whole selfish life. It's true. let, (laughs) let, Let go of that hope of going back and fixing her own childhood, but recognizing that she could help another kid's childhood become happier. Right, oh. right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So good. So, perfect. <laughs> so good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Tahani's experience. Yeah. That that also made me cry. Um, oh. <laughs> this whole season made me I cry. I, I have so many feels. I cried. <laughs> So much. Oh, my gosh. 
And, you know, again, with Tahani, we've seen before what her parents were like. But before, we've only seen them from the perspective of favoring Camilla. We didn't see how much Camilla herself had been damaged as well. And that shot right at the end where you get the full picture of the flashback of the parents making the daughters compete against each other and turning them against each other and not supporting them and not giving them a happy childhood. And, you know, and then it fades out into the abstraction of Camilla's art, where it's always, you know, the two big shapes together representing the parents and the two little shapes far apart representing the two daughters. Right. And, you know, just as we see with Donna, we see how much Camilla has been damaged as well. And we see sort of these cycles of unhappiness and badness getting passed down through the generations. And again, Tahani, like Eleanor, manages to look outside herself and to recognize how much the other person is hurting and to set her free. And Camilla doesn't entirely go along with it. You know, she doesn't fully reconcile with Tahani. She doesn't even promise that she's going to change. Mm -hmm. But just as Eleanor does for Donna, Tahani recognizes where Camilla is emotionally. She says, you are hanging on to this pain because that's how you make your art. And so Tahani gets to be generous toward Camilla and to do something that helps Camilla keep doing the thing that Tahani had been hurt by before. You know, Tahani always resented Camilla's artistic success. But in recognizing where that artistic inspiration came from, Tahani was able to let go of her resentment against it because she understood that it was coming from a place of Camilla's pain. Um, God, this is so profound. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. We have this theme of our, our people are trying to save the people they love and they kind of fail in every case, but that's either because their family member is not ready to be saved yet or has already saved themselves. And in each case, they have to let go. And I think that's really, you know, as I said, that's really consistent with the show's overall message of becoming a better person happens when you decide you want to be a better person and do it for the right reasons. It also requires a great deal of community. Yes. Uh, and relationship like we see all three or all four rather of our our main characters in the beginning of the season trying to become better people for various reasons in their lives because they've all had this near-death experience and have all decided I could have died I need to be better right you have them becoming better and then kind of backtracking you know right. and all of them Uh, And so, of course, Michael decides he's going to go in there and tweak things uh, to get them all together and then tweak it further to keep them all together. And then it just becomes a big thing where he and Janet are basically sustaining them and keeping them all together (laughs) until it all falls apart. Right. Which really, you know, makes you wonder, how can anybody be good? We can't have these, you know, supernatural beings over our shoulders 
constantly. Right. Uh, Humans have to be able to figure out how to be good on our own. Right. And even the one guy who supposedly yes. has figured out how to be good on oh, his own. Gosh. The one guy is living this horrible, miserable life. I know. Oh, Doug. Doug. <laughs> Doug Forsett is just such a tragic figure. Yes. Because it's like, you know, miserable. he figured um, it out and he's yeah. been living his life in accordance with it. And he's yeah, he's absolutely miserable and it's not doing any good. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not helping him. It's not helping the people around him. And yeah, so it is kind of consistent with the themes of, you know, you have to decide to become a better person because you want to. You know, Doug is kind of living out this extreme form of Pascal's wager. You know, he doesn't right. know if it's ever going to matter, but he has to keep doing it anyway because he feels that he can't afford not to. And becoming a better person out of fear is shown to not be the right way to go about it either. Right, right. You know, and I, and I think that's also getting at something that we talked about last year, which is that the point system is really, really messed up. Yes. Um, yes, it is. It is incredibly messed up. And of course, yeah. they, they go into why or rather how it is yes. messed up. Yeah. They interestingly don't actually go into why. Like, I would be really interested in finding out who wrote that point system. Yeah. Uh, it's like, who came up with that? They treat it as this thing that is like, you know, universal constant. That right. this is just the way things are and we can't do anything about it. But right. clearly somebody came up with that stuff. Right. I mean, and they do show some of that in uh, when they go to accounting. You know, whenever somebody does something that has never been done before, a bunch of accountants think about it and crunch the numbers and assign a points value. Right, and right. that stays the points value. But, you know, there's never any indication that there are audits. That, you know, points values are never reevaluated. The thing that really struck me, especially uh, when I was rewatching this season in preparation for this, was nobody noticed that it's gone wrong. Yeah. Nobody noticed. Like, accounting sends off those points bundles a hundred times a day mm -hmm. and they never noticed that they haven't sent any to the good place and the good place themselves hasn't noticed that nobody's arrived yeah it's it's crazy yeah uh, <laughs> um, you would and, think and I, they would know but yeah yeah and i think this goes this gets at the same thing we were talking about uh before from another angle which is it's not enough to just be good you have to think about like, you have to think about the effects of your actions on other people. Like, yes, the people in the good place are, you know, objectively good, but because they're paying so much attention only to themselves and not to the effect that their actions are having on other people, they've completely missed that something has gone really wrong in the system. You know, they're, they're too committed to this abstract idea of goodness. Right. As opposed to being able to actually see the harm that it's doing. Right. Yeah. You know, and even when Michael stands up there and tells them, you know, people are being tortured in the bad place because you're not taking action. And even that doesn't make them change their minds. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and it gets back to what I was what I felt last year. There's something deeply wrong in the system. I think that we are heading towards the whole system being torn down yes. because 
it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And that definitely seems to be where our main characters, you know, where the the, the soul squad yes. is is headed. That they, they definitely want to reform yeah. know, what is what is going on. It's interesting seeing how they're trying to go about it, you know. Yeah. Because they've appealed to authority and that hasn't really worked out very well. And so they've decided to have this uh, experiment where they basically prove that the thing that happened with Eleanor Chidi, Jason and Tahani, where they got better in this neighborhood that Michael had created, that that wasn't a fluke, that it wasn't just right. the four of them and they just happened to be, you know, particularly primed in order to get better but that this is something that human beings in general are capable of. And so it's it's really interesting how they are doing that, doing this experiment basically to prove that what they are advocating for is actually legitimate. Yeah, but I also think that, I think it was Sean who raised the objection. It was actually a really valid one, is that one of the, one of the things that, living in the neighborhood gave them was an absence of consequences. I can't remember whether it was Sean or Eleanor who said it, and that is really telling. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when in near the end of the season, when they're all in the same room and they're all debating about whether to repeat the experiment and how, one of the things that gets brought up is there aren't any consequences to their actions. They don't have to worry about about what's going to happen next because they knew they were already in the afterlife. How does that affect what happens next? And that's one of the reasons why they were uh, saying that all points had to be gained on Earth because that's on Earth that you have consequences. Well, I mean, there there are consequences in the neighborhood too. I mean, you know, Eleanor had to become good or else she was going to be right. brought to the bad place, which is, right. you know, basically the plot of season one. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and there are consequences in the effect that it has on the people around you. Right, um, right. Which was another thing from season one where uh, in the episode about utilitarianism, where Eleanor realizes that, you know, she and Chidi are in this uh, in this utilitarian system together where he's helping her, but that's making him unhappy. Right, um, right. And so the emotional consequences of your actions are still very much in effect. But I still think there's something to that idea that, you know, they are still outside the much larger system of society on Earth. And and that does change the way good actions and bad actions affect the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, it's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, trying to figure out exactly how to make an experiment that works with all of the variables. Because, you know, it didn't help to do it on Earth. That was a failure in a lot of ways. Right. And then <laughs> having it in this controlled system, there's questions about that, too. So, you know, it's just... It all highlights the fact that being moral and being a good person is yeah. so hard. It's really, really hard. Really and hard. Really com- and really complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, not, but not impossible. Well, uh, t- I mean, according yeah. to, to the point system and to the people right. who are in the good place or the bad place, it certainly seems impossible. Right. Um, it was really interesting how they were talking to the judge at one point, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, do you realize how difficult it is because you go to the store and you buy a tomato 
Yeah. And you don't realize that the tomato has been picked by, you know, <laughs> workers who are being exploited. And and then it buying that tomato has cost you like a whole bunch of points. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, do the research, you know, figure out which tomatoes are good to buy. And it's like, but, nobody but, has time for that. Yeah. But you <laughs> and, and that, that gets to something else that I've been thinking about a lot which is the, the whole unintended consequences thing. Like, I totally agree that is absolutely something that is true, mm -hmm. that all of our actions have unintended consequences and that modern life is full of these you know, choices that we aren't making and complicity in harmful systems. Right. But that's still a really Western-centric view of things. Like, that is true of Western industrialized society. That can't be true of everywhere. That's true. You have people who are living in, like, third-world countries. Yeah. It's exactly. like, you know, how are, how are their choices? Yeah. The, like, there are still legit hunter-gatherers in New Guinea. Right, and, right. You know, they are not buying iPhones that were made by child labor. You know, they are not buying tomatoes that were picked by migrant workers. There have to be, and there still are people who are not part of that global capitalist system. Like, I absolutely will stipulate that there's stuff really wrong with the global capitalist system. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but there are also people who are not part of that. And being a historian, as soon as they said nobody's gotten into the good place in 521 years, yeah. I immediately went like, all right, what happened 521 years ago to change things? Right, right. Um, and that was 1497. So right, you know, in the middle of Columbus's voyages ah. to America. So Okay, that, that, that makes a little bit of sense. I can kind of see them having like done that in order to peg it to right. yeah, the, Columbus. To the, yeah, you know, yeah. Colombian exchange and, you know, the beginning of a lot of really harmful and exploitive systems. Right, um, right. But that's also still taking the perspective of the people who are imposing those exploitive colonialist systems. Yes, you yes. Know, the people who were being enslaved, they shouldn't be <laughs> deprived of good place points. Seriously, like, it, it would be a technically a bad thing to buy a tomato that's picked by a migrant worker. But what about the migrant workers? Exactly. You know, the people who are exploited by the system should not be judged as complicit within the system. Right. So I'm really so that's another thing that I'm torn about. You know, is that the point that they're trying to make that the point system, because it is based on the complicity of the people imposing imperialism, capitalism, etc., that that is another flaw in the point system. Or did the showrunners just kind of not think about that? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's hard to, to kind of uh, yeah. separate those two, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you could make a larger point that The Good Place is based on kind of this capitalistic oh. ethos, which is true because the whole idea of this point system and your worth being, yeah. you know, reduced to these points. Yeah, like that, that's, that's, that's a very capitalistic view really, of things. It's really capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe that's kind of a, a larger issue yeah. uh, that they thought about. It's possible. I would probably lean towards not. Yeah. <laughs> they probably I, I, just didn't think about it, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have a feeling that this is just something that is so deeply embedded in a lot of people's consciousness that they don't even think about the fact that it is a point of view. Right. 
you know, because we're you know swimming in this ocean of capitalism, we don't even recognize that we're in the water. <laughs> right. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah. yeah I, I, I can't take full credit. I found a blog post somewhere that mentioned that. And ever since I did, I, I just could not get it out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's going to bug me now. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, there is a conscious statement that the good place doesn't take actual human interactions into account enough. You know, we mentioned the committee before that just didn't care. You know, they cared more about the abstraction of following the rules than about the suffering of real people because they were delaying. And, you know, we also saw uh, the mailroom attendant, Nicole Byer. Right, right. Hilarious. Fantastic. Um, even she had this obliviousness about her. She couldn't even consider that Michael would be trying to deceive her or that anybody would be lying. So there's this whole kind of goodness that's detached from actual human psychology. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to wonder if it's always been that way. Yeah. Or if there was, you know, maybe what happened 521 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe what happened wasn't so much something that happened on Earth so much as something that happened in the afterlife. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's something that that we're going to see coming up in the next season or two seasons. How the system came about and therefore, you know, how it's being run now is from some sort of culture change in the afterlife itself. Yeah, we, we've seen some of the administration of The Good Place, but not a lot. Right. And so, yeah, I wonder if as we get to see more of that, we'll be able to, we'll get some more clues about what happened. You know, maybe someone in The Bad Place did hack the system. Maybe there was a specific event in The Good Place that caused them to change their course in such a way that they lost sight of what they should be doing. It'll be really interesting. Yeah. It actually, so this is a little bit off topic. Oh, a little it's okay. Bit, tiny Good. Bit. As someone who is coming from a theology background, yeah. the thought of what Christ came to the world to do was that being a human was really, really, really hard because the world was messed up. Right. And therefore, he came to take that messed up inness on himself <laughs> right. and free people from that. Right. I don't think they're going to go like, you know, specifically there. I don't think Jesus is going to, you know, make I, an appearance. I don't think so either. No, um, it would be yeah, really it, weird. Um, did a very good job of calling that out in the first episode. You know, this yes. is like this is not a show about any particular religion. Absolutely. But, it is so, absolutely secular. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's kind of that interesting parallel there. The idea of the world being just such a hard place in order to do good, that there needs to be some way that there is forgiveness and redemption outside yeah. of this very rigid point system. Right. Is really interesting. Right. And, you know, as long as we're in religion land, um, right. <laughs> you know, as long as we're talking, you know, if we're talking about you know, religious uh, systems, right. there's also the Jewish concept of tikkun olam, uh, mm. repairing the world, which is, you know, the idea that the world is imperfect, but that it's up to humans to fix it. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Which I think also really fits with the way this show approaches, you know, how to do good. That, it is still up to humans to help each other. 
Right, right. Even though they are getting some supernatural aid from Michael and Janet when they're back on Earth, it's their connections to each other and the way they help each other that does the most good. And the way they try to make that goodness ripple out into the world through yes. their other actions. Yes, I um, love that. That's, that is, is very true. That, that's a great parallel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing we were talking before about meeting the people from uh, Eleanor and Jason and Tahani's yeah. past. Yeah. I keep wanting to, wanting to say Tahini. Uh, <laughs> even now, um, like Tahani. Yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't her parents like misspell her name as Tahini, like in, in, her, in the will? Their will. So uh, she didn't get any of the money because yeah. because they misspelled her name. <laughs> Oh my gosh, which yeah. you know is is just is so them That's terrible and telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but one of the things that uh, I found really interesting is that we didn't see anybody from Chidi's. Yeah, I was really disappointed. I wanted yeah. to see where he came from, and we got more of Chidi's present than we got with other people in yes. Simone. And I love Simone. Simone I think is she's so amazing. Awesome. She is so funny and smart and perceptive and just like a really good friend to everybody. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm very glad that we're going to have her, you know, moving yeah. forward into the next season. Yeah. But as long as we're on the subject of Simone, one of the things I've been thinking about is I don't think she deserves to go to the bad place. I mean, she is by a points count going to the bad place because everybody is. Right. But you know, one of the stipulations of running the second experiment was that all of the people they took in would be at the same level of badness as the original four. Right, right. And, you know, John, the blogger, definitely yes. the same level of badness. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. So amazingly cringeworthy. Yes. It's so well written and awful. And like, so him, you totally understand. Yeah. And we don't see anything like that. Like, just like ordinary level of goodness. And so I don't know if that if there's something else about her that we don't know yet, or if that was just the bad place bending the rules, taking somebody who was less bad than the original four in order to add more torture because it was someone connected to the original four, you know, and figuring that that would be an acceptable way of bending the rules because it was someone less bad. Uh, right, I don't know. Right. Well, you know, they definitely chose her to screw with them. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's possible that they did bend the rules in order to do it. And it's possible that, you know, there's just something about her that, yeah, I mean, you know, in the first season, Chidi is kind of hard to understand exactly how he is so bad as to go to the bad place. Yeah. You, you come to kind of understand that it's because he can't make any decisions and that makes everyone around him miserable. But right. it kind of takes a while before you realize that that's what's going on. So maybe we'll have kind of the same thing going uh, with Simone, that there is is something that we just don't see right now. Right. Or it's possible that they just bend the rules in order to screw with them, which, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> either, is, is e either is equally possible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so one of the interesting things about this season, too, is that we've had a very active presence of Sean and the other demons. Yeah. But they're actively trying to bring Michael down and to bring yeah. the, the, the humans down with him, which is, is really interesting, you know, why it is that they're taking such an interest in this. 
And it could just be that they're bored. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> it, it could be that it's like, you know, okay, well, Michael was one of us and now he's he's taken what's rightfully ours and we're going to get it back. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that no, that's a really good point. And I thought about it a little, but I didn't think that, you know, maybe it was it was a personal thing that Sean had against Michael. I was thinking more that it was Sean's pride in general, that he couldn't stand that anybody was defying the norms of the bad place. Mm. Just looking at the way that he interacts with his staff. Anytime anybody speaks up against him, he puts them in a cocoon. Right. right. Um, (laughs) I love that. And then sometimes just, you know, for the heck of it. Yeah. (laughs) Just because it's fun. Just, Um, yeah. (laughs) No, Sean does have some of the general sadism of the bad place, but but I don't think that's his main motivating factor. You know, like there's who is it? Uh, Gunner who just likes to bite people. Right. Uh, And. A couple of the pe- of the other demons that we meet, like they just like to hurt people. Sean does, but I don't think that's his major motivation. I think Sean is more about control. Right. And Michael is now out of his control. And the four humans and Janet are all out of his control. And that is, and he needs to bring them back. Because gotcha. um, Sean is so deeply invested in the system of the bad place that if that breaks down, then he doesn't have any power left. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and it's a different kind of pride from what we see in Vicky. Uh, Right. You know, Vicky is much more about her own pride and pride in her own accomplishments and trying to make herself the star of every endeavor. Whereas Sean's pride is more with his place in the system. And you can really see that that same pride, actually, uh, with other people in the afterlife, Uh, the accountants, for instance. They're all very proud of their roles and what they do, except for that one guy. Oh, the best catalog weird sex thing. Yes, yes. That is is so amazing because he is so put upon. And he's like, oh, God, what are people doing now? But you can also see how the people in accounting can lose perspective. You know, to get back to what we were talking about earlier, everybody is so focused on their one specific aspect of human behavior that nobody can pull back and see the big picture. And even the people who should be able to, like Neil, that's his name, right? The main accountant? I think so, yeah. Yeah. You know, Neil should be able to, but he doesn't. It's amazing because you have these people, you know, real human beings, and all that they see on their computer screens are numbers yeah you know there's there's no connection whatsoever with who these people are or you know what these people have gone through or really what's behind their actions all it is is this very cut and dried okay this action it doesn't matter why you did it it has x number of points assigned to it yeah getting back to you know my historian mode i remember one of my first uh work study jobs when i was in college was working in a historical archive and cataloging this family's letters Ooh, cool Um, it was was very cool uh (laughs) and so 
this was at the Boswell papers, James Boswell, who wrote the biography of Samuel Johnson. Uh, he also left an enormous archive of personal papers. And one of the first things I was assigned to look at was his register of letters, where he kept track of every letter he sent and received. Wow. Um, so it was amazing experience for, you know, my first work study job in college as a baby historian. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I saw in cataloging his letters, you know, it's just, you know, these lists of numbers on a page, you know, mm -hmm. lists of names of people in his life and who, how many letters he sent to them and how many letters he received from them. And he sent a letter to his father like every week and never got any back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's heartbreaking. You know, and being a human, looking at those documents, you see the patterns of humanity in it. You see that that is a family relationship gone wrong. Right. Where in the afterlife accounting, they're not looking at those patterns of human behavior as patterns of human behavior. They're just looking at them as numbers. Right, right. And, I, and that's one of the themes that's emerging is that only people who have spent time on Earth or beings who have spent time on Earth can get that perspective. You know, when the judge finally goes to Earth, she comes back and she says, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. <laughs> and apparently I'm black. Yeah. And that people treat me extra badly. <laughs> I, I, I loved that part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Getting that perspective because yeah. she went and she experienced what it was like. Yeah, yeah. What it was like to be a human living in that particular kind of body on Earth in this society. And yeah. Nobody in the afterlife has gotten that kind of perspective until our people and until our people start talking to other people in the afterlife, you know, getting the judge to do it, getting the demons to walk around on Earth and see what it's really like. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, going to make a brief nod to the incarnation and then like, going to come back. Like you do. <laughs> like you do, you know. Happy Easter, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Happy Passover. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so brief nod to that. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yes. so, yeah, I don't know. Should like they, they just have uh, a program where like all the people in the accounting department have to spend a week on Earth? Not all at once because that would just like flood Earth. Yeah. But, you know, maybe as part of their training. Yeah, maybe. That does feel really important that the people who are able to make the best assessment of human behavior are the ones who have spent time on Earth. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, it's problematic that all the people who are in charge of all of this are, you know, celestial beings, yeah. right? That none of them actually have any real experience as human beings. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, they spend time with human beings, but only after those humans have died. Right. So maybe what we need to do is democratize the afterlife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and get the humans actually, you know, in, in positions of, of power. That, that is actually one of the things, one of the ways that I think this might end. Overthrowing the system of the afterlife and putting our people and, you know, any future humans who die in charge rather than celestial beings. Right, right. And, and I think that, you know, we've taken kind of the first step down that road with Eleanor taking over from Michael. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that was really interesting. They're about to start the new experiment with the new neighborhood. And Michael totally freaks out. Yeah. And is absolutely unable 
to go forward yeah. with it. And so Eleanor has to be the one to step in and to be the architect. Yeah. And well, that's amazing. It is. Yeah. And, you know, and for Michael, it's part of his whole trajectory of becoming more human. You know, that's that's been the, the character arc for Michael and Janet over the last uh, two seasons is they're both learning how to become human. And right. in Michael's case, now it's manifesting in vulnerability and in fear. He's afraid of his own failure. He is afraid of how his failure is going to hurt the people he cares about. Right. And he's just completely paralyzed by it, just as he was in, you know, existential crisis. Episode. Right. And, and that's sort of, you know, a part of his personality now, a part of the human side of his personality that when things get really bad, he shuts down. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah it's, it's a very human kind of thing. And, you know, Eleanor, part of her personality is... When people around her break down, she steps up. You know, yeah. we've seen we've seen her helping Chidi when he breaks down. We've seen her taking charge of every situation. And so, yeah, she's now the architect. Yeah. And you know, that's also a culmination of her arc, which has been taking increasing leadership. She's not only the one who takes charge when everybody else is freaking out, she's the one that people come to for advice. Right, right. I love how, like, you know, earlier in the season, we see that too, when uh, she realizes that Chidi and Simone have kind oh of been, gosh. you know, yes. or rather that, that Simone has been kind of clear as to that she wants something more from this relationship and Chidi has been terrified, basically. Right. And that scene where Chidi is in the MRI. Oh my gosh, that yes. was amazing. <laughs> so she comes on and says, do you regret not asking Simone out? <laughs> She's like, uh, is this a part of the experiment? It is now. <laughs> yes. Yes. And again, even though a past Eleanor has had feelings for Chidi, I love that the show did not put her in competition with Simone. Yes. Yeah. I love she noticed the chemistry between Simone and Chidi, asked Chidi what was up, and then went about trying to help them get together because she knew it would make them happy. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really amazing. We see that actually also because last year we talked about this being between uh, Eleanor and Tahani. Oh, yeah. Who in the when first I... season, both of them wind up developing feelings for Chidi. Right. And instead of butting heads, they be became friends over it. One of my favorite episodes and one of my favorite moments when Eleanor says, I know what they expect us to do and we're not going to do that. We are already friends and we're going to stay friends and friends support each other when they're in trouble. So that's what we're going to do. Yes. Um, and they become closer because they try to learn more about each other in you know, helping each other get through this moment. Yeah. And we see that actually in season three between Tahani and Janet. Yeah. Because they find out that Janet was in love with Jason, kind of still is in love with Jason. And she cares about Jason and she marries him at one point. Right. But uh, and then they die. And I guess that means that they're not married anymore. Yeah. The whole, you know, t till death do us part thing. Part. It's like. Yeah. What happens after that? It's like, yeah, well. And then she kind of tries to help the two of them kind of reconcile these feelings with each other, which is fantastic. Yeah. And again, Tahani doesn't dig in and become possessive. I think it also helps that she didn't have that 
intense and emotional connection with Jason. Right. But but it's also a big change in her personality that like he's her husband. And, you know, Tahani of a few years ago might have tried to hold on to him as this relationship that is hers and that nobody can take away from her. But instead, she's willing to give up a relationship that she has if it will make her friends happy. Right. And that that shows how she's grown. I do want to talk briefly about Larry though. Yes. Poor Larry. So Larry and Simone. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You Both know, of them Tahani, kind of get yeah. 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 You know, Tahani really, really hurt Larry. And that's something that the show hasn't grappled with yet. Uh, yeah. and I hope they do. Poor Larry. Like yeah. uh, life has hurt Larry. Life has hurt Larry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor oh. guy. Poor Larry. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's one yeah. of the the Hemsworth brothers. Yes. But he's 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 not the handsome one. His yes. mother told him he'd never be the handsome one. Yes, he's uh, six four and a pediatric surgeon. Um. Right, right. <laughs> it's like that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Honey does legitimately treat him badly. She does. Yes. And the same thing with Chidi and Simone, which you know they do bring that back with having Simone there in the afterlife. Right, so right. Chidi treated her really badly. He really did. Some of that was because he couldn't tell her what was really going on. But, you know, the effect was the same. I just thought of that now that that's really in keeping with you know the show's theme of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons and the wrong thing for the right reasons. You know, he was trying to protect Simone from the consequences of finding out about the afterlife. But in doing so, he still really hurt her. Yeah, that's such a, a difficult situation. And I like the fact that they didn't shrink from that. They didn't make it easy on mm-hmm. him. Uh, yeah. And they have that whole episode where he's trying to figure out the right way yeah. to break up with her. There is no right way. No. You know, he goes through simulation after simulation. Like, one of them ends up with him proposing to her. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't actually want to break up with her because he sincerely loves her. Yeah. And then, like, you know, after that one is over, he's like, I don't know why I thought that would work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, he offers her a puppy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I must say, I love the prominent role of puppies in this season. Yes. Um. Yes. Puppies are good. <laughs> yes. In the Janice episode, you know, spontaneous puppy creation all over. <laughs> I want to talk more about the Janice episode. Yes. Like, oh, gosh. Yes. The Janet episode. So forking brilliant. So amazing. <laughs> Janet is is legit one of my favorite characters because, yes. you know, we, we see so much growth from her and and just watching her become a person has been amazing. Yeah. And it's also a really interesting, you know, commentary on artificial intelligence. Basically, she's an AI and she starts off as, you know, just an AI, a a program that has all the answers and does whatever she's told to do according to her programming. And then she shifts and changes into a person. So often in science fiction, which is really kind of partially what this is, we have AIs and they are scary. And that when they get consciousness and they become like people, they are destroying people and killing people and taking over the world and everything. So having this figure who is able to grow and to become a person and to have that be a good thing yeah is actually really fantastic yeah what she does with her humanity is to fall in love and help her friends yeah 
It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Janet episode. Oh, uh, oh which is God. called Janet, Janet parentheses, parentheses S. S. <laughs> so give Darcy Carden all the Emmys now, please. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. She is such a brilliant actor. You can tell absolutely which person she is playing at all times, even when they're all dressed alike. You can absolutely tell. She is so, so good. And it also gets at a really wonderful philosophical question that they've been touching on over the course of the last few seasons, which is about identity and how identity is formed and how can any of these people be considered to be themselves after 800 reboots and returning to Earth and then leaving Earth again? What does that mean for their identities as humans in general and as themselves in particular? In the season two episode, Best Self, Chidi starts talking about this and thinking about this where he actually says, I've been 800 versions of me. There's no way I can know that this is the best version of myself. Right. Um, and that's something that Eleanor and Chidi struggle with, with that one reboot where they were in love with each other. And that's one of the things that Chidi is grappling with in the Janet's episode is, was that really me? Am right. I still the same person who was in love with you? Are you still the same person that he was in love with? Are we ourselves? We can't remember anything from any of those reboots. So do we still carry those those selves with us? And I do not know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult because a lot of that hinges on memory. Yeah. And that we are only the people that we remember ourselves to be. And that things that we don't remember happening, to what degree is that a part of who we are? Which is, yeah, it's a really difficult question because you have yeah. things like doing things because you're blacked out from drinking or whatever. Right. Um, you know, to what degree is that, you know, somebody that, who you are and to what degree does it inform who you become? You also have things like you watch Jane the Virgin, right? Yes, I was going to bring yeah. that up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I love that show. And I wanted to bring it up in the context of Petra becoming a better person right, and, right. you know, in yeah. her journey and how difficult that was. But let's talk about Michael. Yes. <laughs> uh, so people are not familiar with, with Jane the Virgin. Uh, go back and listen to the Jane the Virgin uh, episode of this podcast. Which I did. It is excellent, by the way. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, so we have uh, this character, Michael, who was married to Jane, our main character, and uh, who died, quote unquote, but was actually had his memory wiped and was shipped off to, I think, Montana. Yeah, Montana. Yeah, yeah. And so he's been living this past like five years thinking that he's a guy named Jason and then comes back into Jane's life. And there's the question of, well, well, who is this person now? Because he doesn't remember who he was. And he, he likes different things. He is a yeah. different person from Michael. You know, Jane tries to bring back his memories by doing all of the things that they like doing together. You know, like going back to their favorite food truck to get a Cubano sandwich. Right. And Jason doesn't like Cubanos. And trying to watch their favorite movies together. And Jason doesn't like those movies. Yeah, he, uh, like, he falls asleep at Star Wars. Yeah. And it's like, who does that? I mean, no. <laughs> definitely uh, not Michael. Yeah. 
and he he likes doing different things. He's a, a different person, and right. yet he looks the same. Yeah, and there's the question of is Jane still married to him? Because like I I think the 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 answer legally is yes. Right, because he's not actually dead, and there's uh they have to figure out how to get their divorce papers signed, um, right, which becomes right. a big thing. Yeah. Right, you know, and she she struggles with that. The idea yeah. that is is this really Michael and I'm leaving him because, you know, of something that he had no control over or is but, this just a different person and and not the person that I married? So that's, you know, they struggle back and forth with that question. And then and, of course, he regains his memories. Right. And, oh. oh god. God, so painful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but at the same time like Jane has been moving forward as herself. Right, um, right. One of the most powerful sequences this season has been the um, Dia de los Muertos yes, montage yes. at the beginning where you see Jane moving forward. Yeah, I loved and that. That was, was beautiful. Yeah, that was the perfect yeah. depiction of grief yeah. and how it transforms over time. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. But because of memory, Jane carries the memory of all of that with her. She carries the memory of how she felt at all those times. Right. And she is progressing forward in time as herself. And so she is now a different person from who she was when Michael died. But Michael isn't because he was living all of those years as Jason. Right. Uh, it is so hard. <laughs> yeah. And so where... Where does that leave either of them in their identities? Because you know, one of the things about being human is you move forward in time. You only move forward one direction and you carry the memories of your past with you. But our four humans are the only ones in the history of the world who have not lived linearly. Right. They've, they've lived in Jeremy Baramy time. <laughs> Jeremy Baramy, baby. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. We're going to have to talk about the finale at some point. Um, yes, yes, yes. Oh, but my yeah, goodness. Time, time loops around. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, Jeremy Baramy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we're talking about Michael and Janet becoming more human. That's something that makes our people less human. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, just thought of now. Yeah, they're the only humans in the history of the world to have gone through what they have gone through. They also have a level of knowledge that nobody else has in yeah. the world until they die. But of course, you know, right. even then they have a level of knowledge of the system and what's behind it all, kind of this this meta knowledge that yeah. nobody else has. So yeah, yeah, that they've become really more than human yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so all of them, Michael and Janet and the four humans, are all starting to incorporate within themselves aspects of humanity and non-humanity because of their experiences. Wow. Yeah, mind so blown. in my own mind yeah. here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but jumping back to uh, the Janet's episode with Chidi and Eleanor trying to figure out who they are through all of those reboots, there are still aspects of themselves that remain constant. You know, we know that Eleanor always wants to become a better person and she always finds Chidi and he always helps her. And even in the reboots where they don't fall in love, that always happens. She always has that impulse to become better and he always helps her. So there is something constant about their identity, not 
just in their memories, but in what they want and in how they treat other people. And also in relation to each other. Yeah. Which is really interesting because we have, I'm not sure if it was this season or a past season, there is the question of soulmates and whether or not soulmates are actually real. Yeah. Michael says, well, no, they're not real. I made them up. But when you look at the way that these people have always found each other and always related to each other. Yeah, that's not necessarily soulmates in the sense of your one true love. Right. But there is a deep connection there. Right, right. And something that is beyond circumstance, which is is really interesting. And, you know, watching Eleanor and Chidi connect every single time and in many cases fall in love. It's really interesting and really makes you question what does it mean to be soulmates if that is a thing and also what does it mean what is the nature of love? What it reminds me of and this is another kind of you know memory thing uh-huh. uh, is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I've never seen it. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it know. is so good. Oh, um, it's been my list to see forever. But no, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's so good. Jim Carrey was absolutely robbed when he didn't get an Oscar oh. nomination because yeah. it it was astounding. So astounding. So the the basics is that it takes place in a world where there is the technology to wipe someone from your memory. Okay. So people go and they pay money to a doctor who hooks you up to this machine and then wipes out a person from your memories. Our main characters, I don't remember their name. Oh, actually, I remember her name. Her name is Clementine. I don't remember his name. Uh, Is this couple played by Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet who have had a really rough go of things. And so the Kate Winslet character decides that she's going to wipe Jim Carrey's character from her mind. She does that and he finds out that she's done this and it breaks his heart, of course. And then he's like, well, then I'm going to do it too. Oh. And so a lot of it takes place within his mind when he's in the process of having her cleared from his brain. Oh my gosh. Which is amazing because you go through his memories and see her being wiped from them. But one of the the interesting things about it is that I'm going to totally spoil the ending and I'm sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that they come back together and start a relationship and realize that they've done this. That, you know, the the two of them have been together before and that they wipe their brains. And Clementine says something along the lines of, you know, what what happens if we have this imperfect relationship? What happens if things are hard? And his response is, okay, if that's what happens, that's okay. I still want to be with you. And it's this whole notion that who they are and who they they are together and who they want to be is something that remains constant even when things are difficult and even when they've made this catastrophic decision not even just leave the relationship but wipe the other person out and it's just this this wonderful kind of meditation on memory and on personhood and also on love that love is something that's not easy but it is something that we come back to. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. The, you know, the, and the qualities that made those two people fall in love with each other 
are still there, even if they erase the memory of their first relationship together. Yes. Um, And then there's also a character who's played by Elijah Wood, uh who has fallen in love with Clementine and decides to use her memories of the Jim Carrey character, uh, of basically what it was that made them fall in love. He uses those memories to try to get her to fall in love with him. Oh, no. It's so interesting. Like one of the oh. their like central experiences was going to the Charles River uh, when it was winter and the river was sufficiently frozen that you could kind of walk out into the middle and then like lay down on the ice. OK. And so he tries to do that with her because, you know, this is one of the things that made them fall in love. Right. And so she like she she's in this situation again and it just feels weird to her. You know, it doesn't feel right, really showing that it isn't even just our actions, but the person behind them that is what causes love to bloom. So I love that movie. I recommend that movie. (laughs) I will absolutely go watch it. But, you know, it's kind of the same sort of thing that Eleanor and Chidi, every time that they come together, there is, is, you know, something about who they are as people that is just going to keep on bringing them together which I think is a good segue to go into uh, talking about the finale. So oh, I apologize if you have to edit out my sniffling. It's okay. Probably cry. It's okay. Oh God. It's... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the finale, the bad place people have pulled their trick and Simone is now in the neighborhood and she recognizes that there is no way that he could be in the neighborhood with Simone when he remembers her yeah he knows he knows he can't lie he knows himself for all of his indecision he's really really self-aware in a very accurate way once he gets to the good place he has this new confidence about him he is not angsty and dithery anymore he knows who he is and what he wants and what he needs. Yes. And even when he says, believe me, I've thought about this a lot, like he says it really calmly. Which is amazing so, because previous to this, Chidi would have would have had a stomach ache, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And be totally dithering about it. But no, he he definitely has a yeah. very clear idea. He knows himself. He knows how he has to move forward. He knows he can't lie. He knows he can't deceive Simone and pretend that he doesn't know her. He knows that he can't deceive anyone else. And he sacrifices his memories and his happiness in order to help others move forward. And also, he trusts Eleanor that she's going to be okay. That's true. And that's amazing. Yeah, he doesn't ask her to wipe her memories of their relationship or anything, because he knows she's a good liar. Right. It's like she's going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. You know, and it's almost certainly better because, you know, they need to know what's going on in order to make this experiment work. So she she needs to be able to to remember because, you know, she's the architect now. So you're right. There is a great deal of, of trust there. Oh, God, I'm going to cry. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. No, at one point, Chidi says, I know I'm going to be okay because you'll be taking care of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's this amazing amount of trust to put into Eleanor, who's, you know, until now, her defining quality has been that she is selfish. She only looks out for herself. She doesn't take care of other people. And now everybody trusts her to take care of them. 
Yeah. Of course, it's heartbreaking for her to be in this situation. And they have that scene where Michael has set up, uh, you know, a movie of their life together. And it's so wonderfully honest, you know, like it shows them arguing. Yeah. (laughs) It shows everything in their life when they're friends, when they're arguing, when they're being ridiculous, when they're being romantic and dancing in the rain and everything. It's just, it is such a complete and accepting picture of a relationship. And I just thought of this, now there's a record, there's a historical record. What if Chidi finds it? Oh boy. Ah, that could happen. Um, <laughs> it would be problematic. Yeah. Um, there, there are things, it's kind of interesting that there's like, there's forbidden knowledge yeah. in this show. When you know something, it breaks everything. Right. When the humans found out about the afterlife, they had to leave. Yeah. At that point, there was nothing else they could do. Even though Michael was like, I could kill them. Like, I could just kill them. It'll reset everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, no. No, you can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Janet, like, talks him down. Like, no, it's over. We've got to deal with what what we have. And yeah, like, him finding out about everything would be really weird. And an analogy, it's in a parallel to Eleanor seeing the movie, you know, both Eleanor seeing the movie of her and Chidi in bed together and of her seeing the memories that Michael played back to her. Right. Well, you also have to wonder that if he believes that she is this celestial being, um, oh, wow. you know, yeah. and, and then he finds this, it would probably lead to him not trusting her. You know, yeah, because he would probably believe that she was the one who wiped his memory. Right. Because if that's in the realm of an architect's power, then she would have been the one to have done that. Right. Right. That would be really interesting if if that is the way that it turns out. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like if that's going to happen, that's going to happen early. So I've been thinking about where where on earth can they possibly go for Uh season four And with season two and three, the things that they would sort of be the conventional way to spend the whole season, they get over with in the first episode. Right, right. You know, like the whole first reboot in season two, over by the end of the first episode. Right. The reboot montage, over by the end of the second episode. Yeah. And so they've set up another sort of teetering Jenga tower here of deception with Eleanor being the architect and Simone being a stranger and Chidi having his memory wiped like that all I feel like that's all going to come crashing down really early Mm, yeah that's interesting yeah because season three it was the same thing that you know the the (laughs) whole experiment on earth with them looking at the tickers and everything that all happened within the first like one or two episodes yeah exactly all of them all of the four humans had their own year and all of them fell back into their old habits by the end of the first year right right Yeah, I could totally see it crashing down around their ears pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and I have no idea where it goes from there. (laughs) No, no, none. I mean, you know, last year I I had, you know, some ideas like what they could do, you know, moving forward. This, yeah, I'm I'm kind of stumped because the, uh, the blogger, John, 
it's like, ah, yeah. I'm not sure I want to watch a whole, you know, <laughs> a whole season with him involved because, oh, my God, he's terrible. He's so awful. Yeah, uh, that's, that makes me hope even more that the experiment will crash down in the first episode because you <laughs> cannot take a whole season of John. Yes. <laughs> no, not a whole season of John. Um, I mean, you know, if they manage to uh, redeem John, that would be amazing. Yeah. Like really amazing. So on one hand, maybe, you know, it's a good thing that they've they, they've given themselves some work to do to redeem this guy who is just so grating. Yeah. Uh, in all ways. With the original four, there was lovable stuff about them from the beginning. Yeah. This guy, there's just no lovable stuff just, at all. Nothing. Yeah. No redeeming qualities. No. Um, oh, and yet terrible. And yet there has to be because, you know, he's supposed to be calibrated at the same level of badness as the rest of them. Right, so, right. And that's and that's the experiment. Can you take people who are terrible and make them better? Uh, I just don't know, I don't know if John can do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we still and there's still two who we don't know. We still haven't gotten the other two, the other two humans to complete the neighborhood. Well, I think that Cheaty like takes the place of one of them. I could be wrong. Ooh, it could be that they wind up having basically five humans. Um, yeah, but I think that Cheaty probably takes the place of one. Possibly. I mean, you know, he he obviously wasn't chosen by the the bad place people. So right. So possibly not. We'll see. I mean, you know, the judge has kind of nixed the deception. So they probably won't bring in like Eleanor's father or whatnot. Right. Because that would be, you know, really problematic because she's the architect. And if somebody recognizes her, that's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or, one of, or one of Jason's 60 person dance crew or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. That would be. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, but it, in the last episode, right before the end, you have that moment where Eleanor is talking with Janet. Yeah. Because Chidi is out in the waiting room and Eleanor yeah. is basically having to steel herself to yeah. to move forward with things and talks to Janet and basically talks about how can love exist? How can how can how can anything have meaning? Exactly. When there's so much chaos and pain in yeah. the world. And Janet says it just does. It can't make sense, but you have to keep going. And that's another part of being human. And it, it's a nice bookend to what Eleanor told Michael back when he was first learning what it meant to be human. And she said, you know, we, we are all aware of the existence of death. Right. And so we're all a little sad all the time. That allows her to be able to, you know, step out and see Chidi and know yeah. that he doesn't know her. Yeah. And then invite him in to start the experiment. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> this show so sad <laughs> oh sad oh my gosh and I yeah. love it and I love that you know this show is one of the things that has made me cry the hardest over the last season of television yeah. <laughs> it's true and it's like you know it's a comedy yes it's a comedy it and it's so ah oh, so yes. sad at times. So much, yeah, so much laughing through tears and crying through laughter in this show. Yes, yes. So much. Yeah, yeah. And because it's all just so emotionally honest and emotionally yeah. real in, in ways that most TV shows just aren't. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Very yeah. much looking forward to next season. And I know that they're going to come up with something amazing because 
Yeah. Yes, because they have to, because they already have, and I have faith that they will. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should wrap up. (laughs) Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so great to have you back. Heck, maybe we'll have you back next year, too. I love that. <laughs> See how, yeah. how season four happens and how different it is from everything else. And exactly because it will be, you know, they're going to blow up the entire world again. Yes, we will have no idea what we're going to be talking about in a year. It's true. Um, and yeah. it's, it's whatever it is. It's going to be amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.